Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. We are, in fact, a member of the DLF family of podcasts. Question. What does productive look like? I think that's it. I think that's the question that I need to answer rather than trying to deal with all of the offshoot questions that stem from not establishing a firm baseline of that answer. What does productive look like? And what is productive for that matter? Another question. Do you think, like, a a diehard old guys matter and guy who does projections likes using age and market share of yards to project or to assess rookie players? I really don't. I don't even like the term. It's been pointed out before, but market share is just—it's—it's a senseless way of saying it. It's a percentage. It's the percentage of yards that a player earns. We call it market share to sound all fancy and stuff, as far as I can tell. And I've tried switching it up a few times before, just calling it percentage, calling it share, and um, mostly it just gets disconnected from the wider conversation. There are so many stats running around and people just discovering it. DLF's doing. Some really interesting work right now. I think market share or production is becoming a lot more mainstream with uh, FS Statistics becoming part of DLF. They're producing uh, Zeno's tool, so you now can do the age-adjusted market share compared to the average trend line of successive players. The graphs that I put out, um, he created a tool, and you can actually see that um, by any baseline you want, by any filters you want, on DLF now, not to mention all that rookie prospect data, they're soon going to be importing and make me, you know, obsolete. But mine's still free, <laughs> I guess. Um, which is great. So calling it something else, just like there's too many names and acronyms running around already. So we go with it. But it's terrible. There's a reason we don't use it in the NFL, right? That's not how we assess who's good in the NFL. It's because we have better stats. And the reason is because there's more money in collecting NFL stats. It's better funded and more degenerates looking at it, frankly, like you and me. So th- there's more to go on. But those are the best things I've found to try to assess whether a player has a higher or lower likelihood of being successful in the NFL. And I've tried to, re- like, I've got a, a thread that I often post to the question, what does productive look like? Um, I've written articles for DLF uh, going on two, three years now, every year, talking about market share, the value of it, how age factors in, what it does, what it can't do. And um, none of them really answer that central question simply, easily, without complicating it up, like uh, calling it market share instead of percentage. So I thought, and I was in the conversation again today, and you've got to realize, like, I really enjoy this conversation. Like, um, for uh, someone trying to help put out inf- interesting and useful information as much as I can, just to add to the community, add value to the community, getting in a conversation every year, predictably, several times, sometimes a day, um, that I have answers to, I can put in context, I can provide answers, I, I, I know where the conversation's going, I know where the edges are. It's, it's great, I love it. 
and bringing more people into an understanding of what it can and can't do outside of hyperbole because I just want to get back to the hyperbole where the fun is where we can just argue but everyone understands you know the the stuff behind it um you, I always feel guilty when I get into that and someone's obviously just misunderstanding what the actual limits are and why sometimes so they don't know when sometimes I'm just standing on a hill and sometimes I'm actually being serious like no that that that's really unlikely to happen. So people are coming in, people are learning about it. It's great. So you got to do that background, or I want to, so that I can just be Mr. Asshole on a Hill uh, and know that I'm not misleading someone. Uh, like they can make their own bet knowing I'm just stating a strong opinion, whatever. So this is five minutes in, Pete. I really wanted to make this simple, quick, and all the way home, I've, after getting in this conversation again today, I, I think I've thought of a way to break it down to simplicity, to put this in a more familiar context so it's easier to understand that what is productive, even with the stats we have for college, is very, very clear. Now, Again, there are edges here. There are some things that can tell you sometimes, some things that can't. But the question, who was productive compared to a good player in the NFL, as we know because we we've seen their NFL career play out, is very, very clear. There's no question that I can tell you who is productive in college and who is not with a very useful and non too Non, it doesn't restrict you just to seven players in 20 years. It doesn't restrict it to 200 players and it and therefore it's unhelpful in that direction either. It's really, really obvious, really clear, and you don't have to be like me, and like I am not. I am not a statistician. You don't have to be anything like that to really get it. You don't even have to have been the nerd that I am to stare at this stuff for so long and gone off in so many random and incorrect directions and had to pull it all back and start again in a better one. You don't have to do any of that to see the very, very clear line between a player that you can draw, if you just a baseline uh, of dividing players into, even if it's just two groups, of who is productive and therefore in a higher likely category to be good to transition to the NFL, and who is not, so they're in a lower category. Now, players break out from there. I recently wrote that article for DLF, The Outliers, trying to exaggerate the extremes of it. And Mahan, who we can definitely put in the lowest category likelihood, even with the outliers to that. And then conversely for draft capital. So please check that one out as well. But like, I think I'm starting in the wrong place. I think I have to start with the central question because it didn't really occur to me when I get into these conversations, it doesn't really occur to me that that is up for grabs in some people's mind. Like, maybe you don't know. No, I know really, really well. Anyone who, you know, looks at these numbers or puts out market share or thinks about it from this perspective, which pretty much anyone, again, while we pretend this film and stats, really everyone is, anyone that's any good is some of everything. Well, not anyone that's any good. That's a bit extreme. But, um, like, it's really clear. If you're just getting into the conversation, let that, let's have that be known. Like, there are exceptions. There are people who are held back. There are people who are injured. Um, but we know that. <coughs> pardon me we could look at dk metcalf and say he barely played when he did play he did this okay so what does that mean how can we put that in context we could do that we could look at tyreek hill and say well the man played one year kicked out his team one year of you know decent level college stats so it turns up on sports football reference which is where all my data initially comes from the raw data um, and he played mostly running back <laughs> for in that year. Okay, so I don't know much about his production. He goes into a different category. I'm not going to ding him for being unproductive when he never played. Um, and when he did play, he was playing running back. Or Julian Edelman was a quarterback. I wouldn't have been screaming at the rafters, Julian Edelman is bad because he was underproductive because he played quarterback. Like, that isn't who I'm talking about. Um, Wes Welker played mostly running back not who I'm talking about. That's a different kind of situation, different kind of valuation. That is not what's making us value some players over Henry Ruggs for this year, for example. Those players would have had and do have in this year. Uh, Braxton Miller is another one that didn't work out. 
a different caveat. It's just we don't know. Calvin Ridley didn't play until he was 20. So we didn't know what he would have been in some of the most predictive years. That doesn't mean we just don't like him because when he was playing, he was really, really productive. That's a good thing. That's what age-adjusted and paying attention to that trend line is about. It just means the ones that are the years that were most like. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, and we did a whole episode on Kevin Ridley, so shut up. Um, anyway, so that's what I want to handle today. What is productive, and how is it so very, very clear? Um, and how we can make the unfamiliar. And I don't know how much you know about college football. I know literally nothing. I've been learning about conferences this week because I've been putting out a whole bunch of new things uh, for the database to try and do descriptive rather than predictive, and I very rarely concentrate on the descriptive, but it's obviously really important too. Um, stats for compared to conference level and also compared to uh, their teammates. Uh, two new stats to try and describe their situations to help us fill in the story. Uh, if you don't have a model, you don't like my whatever. You just describe the story of where they were producing, the situation they were in. So, it But you have to start with this baseline of what is productive. So, I keep saying that. What's my grand idea, the one I haven't stopped thinking about all the way on? It's not very complicated. And I realize I have had this thought a number of times before, but sometimes I didn't have the data a few years ago, and sometimes you just forget it. And you think, ah, what if it doesn't work out? doesn't sound good. And you move on to other things. But here it is. Grand, big brain idea, right? Which is going to seem so simple, it's ridiculous. Some some background here, just, just laying the groundwork. Again, the thing about college is we have relatively few raw stats. We don't have a dot. If I had a dot, even me, not even the great minds in this, but if we had a dot, we could kick the crap out of everything we use <laughs> to evaluate rookie wide receivers right now. Like literally decimate it, throw it all away, let's start again. Um, we don't. We don't even have targets. Now, there are targets available, and I want to do a few shout-outs on this because there's lots of good data out there, um, unfortunately, and that's why I try to make mine as good as possible for free right now. Most of it's paywalled, but um, Rotowire has a three-year history of targets. You can see some of it, but you have to get behind the paywall to see all of it, um, and they also have all the data I have, but again, it's slightly behind the paywall. Um, and the single Terry, great follow on Twitter, by the way, um, really intelligent, really good value. We probably know about him if you listen to this, for goodness sake. But he has a website. Oh, I forget the name. I always forget the name of it. I'm look. I'm looking it up right now, and I'm cutting this if I run too long. Uh, where are you, Andy? Uh, it's Penelope's with an S Z. And um, Pen is his Twitter at. Uh, show me your website address, dude. I, I I don't know if it's his. I know it's like he's the one who told me about it, and I think he's at least one of the big people behind it, like owns it or part share. I, I don't know, understand the business situation. I don't even try to understand the business situation. But there it is, expandtheboxscore.com. That's paywalled because, you know, this is a lot of hard work, and people deserve to be paid. Put that aside. But they, and Andy has told me, they have targets going back as far as I have yards. And targets are better, according to Andy. I haven't seen it. I'm not behind that paywall. But, like, if you have a little extra cash to throw at fantasy football, and my idea is this isn't this isn't a place for money for me. I like the idea that money is not, even, even the small amount that expand the box score really asks, it's really reasonable, um, isn't an inhibitor. I think anyone just playing to, like, like Matthew Berry used to say, it's a place outside of life. You don't have to worry about anything else. You just, it's a timeout where you just get to have fun with your friends. I love that idea of this community. And, like, this stuff is useful and interesting. And I love collecting it and researching it. So that that's where I come from. But it's definitely valuable information. That, um, and explaining the box was really likely worth it. Uh, I don't know. And especially if they have targets. But I, there's a shout-out to someone uh, and a resource where you can get access to stats that I don't have. Other shout-outs include Anthony Amico, who prefers to use yards per team pass attempt, which I've recently inserted back into my database. I'm just so familiar with market share, and I'm getting as much out of it as I think I could get out of the other stat. But that's probably, if you want to, if you're just starting, you should probably start with the yards per team pass attempt, because Anthony Amico is dead on, almost always. He's a great follower as well, a, a meekster. Um, I, I'd like to think market share has a good background, at least, um, for college prospects. 
Uh, and I like I say, I think I'm getting plenty of signal out of it. But you ask me team pass attempt, he insists, and he definitely knows his stuff, is probably a little bit better. And while market share is just getting interesting or popular or a little bit more widely known and um, with DLF and everything else. And that might be the next stage. So if you want to get a leg up, go ahead. I know a bunch of you collect databases like I do. Um, and if you don't have that in there, it's a fairly simple stat to calculate. Um, and so if you have the data for market share, you pretty much have the data to do that stat. But anyway, uh, those are two names I definitely want to mention in there. So, um, and also you just John Moore. I, I haven't been mentioning him a lot, but hello, John Moore on Twitter. He's the first person I ever read on Rotoviz. Um, when the the site was free for a week back then, when I didn't have patrons to help, you know, uh, fund me to get in there and see some of their data. But John Moore, uh, article: If you ever get into Rotoviz, um, sign up, do that paper, whatever. I recommend John Moore's articles be the first thing you ever read. The first thing that got me thinking about how age can affect production, and it is some of the most signal you can get. But anyway, uh, moving on. So. There's some groundwork. We only have a few stats. So you've really got to think about college and everything we have to make other things about is very, very basic for free public information. You've got receptions, yards, and touchdowns. That's pretty much it. And we make stuff out of it, okay? You, again, with the NFL, already your brain's probably going mad with all the other stuff that we've got, including expected points and routes and snap share. Don't really have it publicly. Just don't, not reliably at least, and not a decent history. It's, it's reception yards and touchdowns. That's what you got. So, if you only had that for the NFL, was my thought. What, what, we, know, what we know about players. Presumably, the same, very easy to identify who is productive and who is not productive would still be possible if it has any kind of correlation. It's very, two very different situations, NFL and college, obviously. College is multifaceted with a bunch of different conferences, again, as I've been learning. NFL is one league, one, one competition level. I mean, the conferences vary a little bit, but I mean, everyone filters into the NFL to the point that it's kind of like NASA, the best of the best of the best end up in the NFL. So like the worst player in the NFL was the best college player you ever met. You know, and even the international free agents who, you know, don't become Adam Thielen. Probably pretty amazing. Don't try Inman. Uh, I actually think it was a seventh round pick or so, but he was close to it and played in Canada for a while. Comes back in at the NFL. I think he's still in charges. Amazing player. Must be to get it in the NFL, but by NFL standards, uh, you know, he's Don't try Inman. Um, so that having been said, it's two very different situations, but if we familiar make the unfamiliar familiar, why well, use Mike and Sherry Yards? Never seen this stat before, don't understand why that would describe things. What, what about if we just make it familiar by looking at the market share of Yards in the NFL? The reason I don't think that's anywhere is because it's not a great stat. You want targets, you want air yards, you know? And no one thinks to divide team yards, receiving yards by team yards, because who, why would you do that when you've got ADOT? <laughs> why would you do that when you've got air yards and targets? You wouldn't. We don't for college. So what if we just pretend the NFL is kind of college or kind of college? And I want to kind of do this live, although I'm realizing I'm already running on so far. I have to delete most of this. I don't know. I want to make it 30 minutes, damn it. So that's what I did. And I wanted to just pick a random year and I was like don't think about it too hard let's just look at last year and I don't know what percentage anyone got or has sorry to English a little bit but like if I'm right that this is that that stat just yards and team yards is good enough to at least make a very clear distinction between who is productive and unproductive then I'd show up there too I mean it's not too dissimilar although we'll prob probably have to read it a little bit in the fact that you know it's one league not several leagues different levels of players and car salesmen playing quarterback and uh, cornerback and all those caveats. But at least it would maybe work as a mental exercise to help make it familiar so it didn't seem so weird uh, when I was so certain that one player's productive and one's not. So that's what I did. That's what we're doing. Literally kind of kind of live-ish, even though we're not live. Um, I, got, I got 2019 stats up. I dropped everything else from the NFL database, and I've just got literally staring me in the face uh, player column, season column, just because I forgot to delete it. Draft year, apparently I forgot to delete that. Team position, their receiving yards, and team yards. Just the total receiving yards for each team. 
and I divided the one by the other, which is where we're basically limited to with color. I mean, we have a little more, we have games, you know, um, but it's simple. So what shows up? So let's divide the one number by the other and take a look. Who comes out at the top? Who comes out at the bottom? Clickety, clickety, click. That, that's my impression of what Excel looks like. Clickety, clickety. Anyway. Um, all right. That's weird. Uh, 2019, here are your top five players. Michael Thomas, Alan Robertson, John Brown, Stefan Diggs, and Terry McLaurin. All right. Bit of a weird list. Next comes Jamison Crowder, DJ Moore, Jarvis Landry, Robbie Anderson, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Ah, there he is, finally. Um, I'm going to limit it just to wide receiver, just for the sake of it, because we're talking about wide receiver prospects. Then Cortland Sutton, Kenny Galladay, Julio Jones. Now, that's not a great ranking, which, again, is what I've been saying for a while, and maybe that puts that in great context, right? Hopefully. It's not a great ranking at all. But most of those names, do you disagree they're productive players that you want on your fantasy team? Hopefully. Hopefully not. All of those are good players you should want on your fantasy team. Um, let's just skip down the list to choose a random number, 20%. You know, 20, 21, 22% is where you start to get... I know from broader context that we're pretending we don't know here. Um, it's a good wide receiver one number for targets, so whatever, 20%. Below 20%, Marvin Jones, Anthony Miller, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Okay, that's a weird one. Might require thinking about that one a little bit harder. Darius Slayton, Tyra Williams, Zach Pascal. Good players, actually. Interesting players, but they sound like a different kind of player, right? That's not... Like the list I was reading that before, from Michael Thomas, Stefan Diggs, even John Brown last year, DJ Moore, Landry, Hopkins. You see how it's different just by reading through the one year. Uh, skip under 10%. Uh, and this is just market share of yards. Like a stat so simple uh, and thought to be useless that we don't do it for the NFL because we've got better stats. Under 10%, Marius Thomas. Oh. Mohamed Sanu take in uh, Brashad Perriman, Willie Sneed, Josh Gordon, Nelson Aguilar. Very fair to say that's another tier, right? And not where you would draw tier lines, but you see how it's decreasing. It is incredibly clear that the more productive you were for your team, the bigger part of the receiving game for that tier not ranks well, but accurately describes very productive players very non-productive players. All right. that That's the start of it. So how about how many players get over 20%? That random number that I chose. But 20% is a fairly good number. 20% is you know, a significant part uh, of the receiving yards for your offense. Uh, I'm talking, I'm vamping here. All right, 38 wide receivers out of two, it's going to be 200 and something. 210 from 2019 uh, that I have from Rotovis data. And a couple of those, by the way, you can't find stats of them from uh, uh, Pro Football Reference, the, the source for most of us for stats, because Rotovis is a little deeper. There's a couple of names I had to look up the teams because it wasn't V looking up for me properly. Like, they're literally not on Pro... So this is a, a very extensive list. There's no one being missed. Team yards aren't skewed here. So about 18% of wide receivers get 20% or more of their own team's receiving yards. That's a really small percentage, or a significant percentage. And as I said, they clearly stand out in terms of productive. Now, the ranking's wrong, and there are a few weird names in here, like Jamison Crowder, really? Robbie Anderson, before Andre Hopkins? Again, it's not a ranking. So let's go to another list here. How about players that get over 30% of their team's receiving yards? There are nine of them out of 210 which is about 4%, if if my nerd brain doesn't fail me right now. 4%. Yeah, that would be about 4%. That's a really small grouping for NFL players. And that would be the names I read off to you all the way to Landry. Thomas Robinson, John Brown, uh, Diggs McLaurin, <laughs> Jameson Crowder, DJ Moore, and Jarvis Landry. So we have a few curiosities in it. What about New York Jets? Well, for a start, if we can, um, you know, just adjust the thought experiment. This isn't the NFL. These are guys going into college. This, pretend this is college, but it's familiar. Because we know more about it, right? You're more comfortable with who's who. And they play for New York Jets. You can very much think of that as a worse situation than most of those other players, right? 
the two players on that team that got significant, in fact, both ended up with 30%, are Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder. Everyone else on that team, Vincent Smith to Quincy Inumwa, ignoring injuries and playing time, got uh, a sum total of 13% of the receiving offense, and 60% of it was divided between these two players. Now, that doesn't mean they're as good as those other players up there with 30%, but in this quote-unquote lower conference, it makes very good sense that these two players who are the only relevant um, NFL players, NFL-level players get so much of their team's offense, right? But I also hear, and, you know, flipping back from college to NFL, well, that's the point, isn't it? There's less competition, so some of these players are just soaking up uh, a bunch of play. No, that's not the way it works either, and it's very, very, very clear that that's also not how it works. You don't get over, even in a bad situation like that, 20% uh, in college, for example, of your team's receiving offense just because there's no one else. And again, this goes to what I was saying about targets. Like, it just spreads out. And so let's choose uh, let's choose an example of what would work. Um, well, let's, cho- let's choose a heavy uh, a team outside the New York Jays, a good team with dominant players, more than one dominant player and uh, in 2019, who would who would that be? Dallas? Uh, you know, the, whatever you think of Crow, uh, Cooper and Gallup, I mean, they're, they're very good this year for fantasy and they're very dominant to their offense. In fact, having skipped over to the, there are actually three interesting players because Randall Cobb, I should remember that because I bought a lot of him. He had 16% of the team's receiving yards. 16% is a lot more than anyone we saw on the New York Jets, which makes Cobb stand out in this tight committee. But with three players getting above average for wide receiver one, two, and three, if you can follow me along there, it's interesting that all of them stand out a lot more than Vincent Smith. Randall Cobb is better than Vincent Smith in his situation, and so that told, and we could make some kind of conclusion there, that Randall Cobb is better than Vincent Smith because he's able to suck up more of his team's offense, even with two dominant players ahead of him. And that's the way the pattern works. And it's consistent, and it's very clear. Players that get over a certain threshold that's significant for the situation here we're looking at in the NFL, so I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, because I've never done market share of yards. But in in college, I've researched it, and so has everyone else, vastly. There are very definite thresholds that if you don't reach, it's probably more about you, not because there's too much competition. Because there's just no ex- evidence or examples of that happening. Normally, when multiple players, like Randall Cobb is above average, even as he is right now, uh, in this instance, and he shows out a little better than someone like Vincent Smith playing the third fiddle in the New York Jets. So let's compare it to a team, or pair Randall Cobb, to, the new, uh, to a wide receiver three on a good team, rather than a lower conference slash worst team. Like, Dallas is pretty good this year. Um, committee time... Uh, Houston, they really only have two wide receivers. Kenny Stills did well, but is held back by injury. I don't think it's going to be a fair comparison. Um, Carolina's got McCaffrey. It's a different kettle of fish there. Uh, Rams would have been great last year, not this year, right? Uh, come on, Pete. Think of two guys. Uh, play with oh Tampa Bay, obviously. Obviously, in 2019, Tampa Bay's got two great players dominating opportunity and therefore production. Godwin and Evans both had over 20%. Mike Godwin had... uh, Mike Godwin. Mike Evans had 22%. Chris Godwin has over 25%. So they're both in that small 18% category of players that get over 20 right? Brashad Perriman got 14%, slightly less than Randall Cobb. So does that mean Cobb's better than Perriman? Not really. But it does tell you something of the threshold. And you know more about Perriman and Cobb and how valuable they are to a fantasy team, for example. Um, you know that neither of them are particularly valuable. And they're hitting 14 and 16. And that will probably be, if the trends hold true, consistent all around. Players that are getting 15 to 16 are good. They're showing out. But like they're not the players that you want. They're not even... Uh, Crowder, and they're not even um, Robbie Anderson, right? For their potential, at least, if the offense got slightly better, maybe. So, hopefully that puts it a little bit more in context. It's very clear that more competition, uh, less competition doesn't mean someone gets more. You have to be extremely good. Uh, let's go over to 
Uh, I didn't do an example for that. Indianapolis. Ugh, poor Andrew Luck. Um, he's gone. T.Y. Hilton was injured a lot. Zach Pascal actually led the team in receiving yards. Undrafted free agents matter. Hell yes. But he got 18%. So with much less competition and uh, our worst team like the New York Jets, he's not getting 30% of the opportunity. And T.Y. Hilton may be a reason, but T.Y. Hilton got 13%. And, you know, 13% of T.Y. Hilton compared to Jamison Crowder, I think that's a fair comparison. And yet Zach Pascal can't get to the 30% that Robbie Anderson did. Because Zach Pascal, while good and definitely someone that matters as an undrafted free agent, probably isn't as good. Now, that's not definite, but that's just following the logic of good players earn opportunity and therefore produce productivity therefore produce higher uh, higher thresholds and once you look at a history of this i mean dig through t.y hilton's history you'll see who's consistently high if we did this stat for for his years and that scale isn't and we, you know more about crowder and anderson so you know more about the context and you know that very much describes who they are and that's true in college too not not who's better or who's worse necessarily within the thresholds it doesn't rank it ranks terribly but it's very clear who's productive, who is not. And that players who don't hit certain thresholds or don't demand enough opportunity that they, without injury or playing a different position, uh, that they earn a certain amount of production are more likely a lower tier of player. Now, here's the thing. This is the NFL. Let's imagine there's a super league above the NFL, right? Where, you know, every cornerback is Darrell Rivas in his prime. Who do you want to bet on just thinking about when all you have is market share of yards? Who's going to elevate? Because that's basically what's going to happen. College to the NFL is like having an imaginary NFL above the NFL where every cornerback is Daryl Rivas. Like, it would have to be that extreme in the, in his prime uh, to even come close to describe the jump in competition level, you know? So who would you rather, who do you think is a more likely category? The players that get, even though it's a crappy stat, over 20% of the market share of yards for their team or those that don't consistently because we're actually going to look at more than one year. Every year they do it. Again, where that tier is very, very clear, you are pretty much going to have like a, a, an amazing difference. And it's really, really amazing the difference between how likely it is that a player who's getting over a certain, we just chose 20% here, but it's significant as 18%, only 8% of one in one season actually did it. Those players are obviously going to be more likely. Now, you're going to have misses. Robbie Anderson, I don't think, is going to elevate well um, to to the super NFL. Neither is Jamison Crowder, probably. But Stefan Diggs, Alan Robinson? Michael Thomas, DJ Moore, Landry, I think, DeAndre Hopkins, I think they're very likely some of the names we could list off in the top 20 that would be more likely to succeed if there was a super NFL, right? So it's very, it's very, very clear, and it makes a lot of sense. It's internally consistent to say that players are productive through this crappy stat, market share of yards, are more likely to be productive if the competition level elevates to the extreme, which is what happens for college players. And you're going to have misses and it doesn't rank well, yes. But that's where we go to the second tier. And w with college, we're also taking on a whole bunch of stuff like these guys uh, developing physically, literally more than players in the NFL. Players in the NFL are learning and experiencing. But in the college, it's just much more important in development. It's true in life as it is um, that, that period in your life. And as, as it is for NFL players learning player position at a higher level. Definitely going to get uh, this. Definitely going to be too long here, isn't it? But the question, "What is productive?" is very easily answered, even with the stats, even with the most rudimentary of stats that we have for for college, without getting behind a paywall. Just in looking at receiving yards. The reason I'm using yards is because, based on having stared at it a lot like a nerd, it's just it's just the most useful single one. Uh, college dominator combines touchdowns and yards in some interesting ways. You can do a whole bunch of different varieties of college dominator, um, even taking it down to per game to grind and grab absolutely no one because per game doesn't really help out at all. But there you go. Um, but that is what productive looks like, and that's how black and white it is between likelihood of being good at a super high le a super higher level. 
Like, let's go down. Let's try and grab a few examples here. McCall Hardman got 11%. That's well outside our threshold, right? And I know a bunch of you like McCall Hardman, not really on board with it because he did this in college too. But you like him. He got 11%. So there are some names down here. Here's a better one, Brandon Cooks, although we can probably relate that to injury. Okay, in the NFL, where it's the same competition level, it's very much going to come down to injury or not injury as opposed to college. And where you have players playing the whole season's full career, not getting injured, like McCall Harmon did in college in Ohio, um, like Henry Ruggs did in Alabama, and just not meeting those thresholds. But with McCall Harmon, you know that he's playing at a certain year in his development. And 11% of his offense, if we looked at the trends for the last 20 years like I've done for college might be highly significant for a rookie wide receiver. So ignoring age and just thinking the first year. But in college, age has more signal than year one, two, and three, probably because of a lot of that development that happens, experience and physical development. I've said these things before, but not quite in this context. And hopefully it makes a little more sense when you think about it in terms of NFL compared to college. That's what I'm hoping anyway. So... Now, I've, I look at other stuff. I'd look at targets, ADOT, and everything else since he's an actual NFL player, but pretending he's actually playing in college again here and there's a super NFL for him to move on to, I think it would be very fair, and in fact, this works out in college as well, to say that in this year, pretending it's his age 18 season, getting 11% is not bad. That's okay. It's okay he's not in the 20% group because over the course of the next couple of years, he might have production more like the names at the top of the list and what we know they've done for the past two or three years, right? And so that's what age-adjusted production is. That's considering what they are or how well they're doing compared to where they are in college in terms of age, physical development, experience. In the NFL, it's in terms of that incredible jump to the NFL, earning opportunity, uh, and everything else was talked about, the difficulty of being productive in the NFL through the career arc of what a rookie wide receiver to a sophomore to a uh, junior to, you know, uh, T.Y. Hilton. So the point I'm trying to make here is that's why age-adjusted is more useful than just looking at a single number like College Dominator or just saying, oh, total production, that's who you want, or peak production. Peak production is shit. I mean, I'm not going to go into too many different stats here that we use for college because it's meant to be a very simple exercise. But like Crowder, um, uh, probably yeah, it's the best year he's had. So if we looked at it in context, you've got crap, crap, crap. We know actually Crowder's actually showed out significantly. He's actually productive in college. I'm just pretending uh, a little bit here to twist the familiar to make it explain something that he may not be as familiar with, which is college production and how market share of yards works. So, you know, he's been a much smaller part of his offense for his entire career. And then suddenly in what would this be, fourth year? He had 30%. That, and that's the last thing he does before, you know, elevating to the super NFL. That puts him in a much less likely group than someone like Michael Thomas, who's had 30 to 40%. And he has 40%, by the way, of the New Orleans Saints offense in 2019, which is just amazing. But anyway, um, like that's a 1%, right? Uh, but he'd be much more less likely to show out the same way that Michael Thomas had after consistently getting above career year thresholds for the last three years um, in the NFL. If he, uh, if Michael Thomas elevates to the super NFL, pretty confident he's going to be one of the best at doing it, right? Whereas Jamison Crowder, you've got the three-year history of mm, showing out a little bit but not doing much, and certainly not meeting the thresholds for career year one, two, and three, or age 18, 19, and 20 in college. And then in this fourth year, he finally hits 30%. That's, that's essentially what peak production is, where Hakeem Butler comes along and just you know, uh, has an amazing, frankly, final season in terms of production. Now, there are some slight differences there again, where in college you've got senior difference. I don't think Jamison Crowder was getting senior difference, and this is back to the fact that Crowder's actually a good player, and I was a little harsh on him to say crap, crap, crap. Uh, doing this in his fourth year in the NFL is different than doing it in your fourth year in college. So I'm not saying he's, you know, therefore when he evaluates the Super NFL in 2020, just forget Jameson Crowder. Like, I think he's going to be, you know, Jameson Crowder. And not Michael Thomas, but a significant NFL player, can put up numbers and probably worth a rust. But oh, I'm not talking value. Go listen to the Trade Addicts. They'll tell you about value. Um, 
but you can see how looking at the if they play and they don't miss games that looking at even a simple stat like Mike's share of yards over time can give you a very clear idea of just that simple definition this guy was productive like a good player would be productive in this situation and this guy wasn't and that's it it's really clear it's really definite and there are exceptions but that's why we go to the second tier that's where you adjust you can adjust it by the situ- the specific individual situation they're playing in college it's age and the nfl it's career year maybe um, and you can also look a little bit at team situation. Landry and OBJ definitely held each other back. I think they would have been, you know, higher producers if they both weren't there. But as we as we looked at a few NFL examples, good the good players in that situation still dominate significantly past the thresholds, and that's what they did in college. So when you look at Alabama, none of them are hitting that. Jerry Judy did it age 19 and 20. Like, Jerry Judy isn't really in this conversation. I think he looks worse than others, and it's fair to give him a little boost, little tiny boost, because there are other players, you know, people that are watching are honestly saying, these guys are fast, these guys are good, Henry Ruggs and Vontae Smith. I think there's another guy. But those guys, based on the career years, are looking at the whole picture of what they did in college, aren't, aren't hitting it. They're definitely in the non-productive category. And so you don't want to adjust Judy too much. But where he's already crossed the thresholds, he's already looking like, you know, one of these 18%, if we're to relate it to this thought exercise here, it's fine. And it doesn't rank well. So you've got Judy, Brandon, Edwards, and Denzel Mims, and all these guys I haven't necessarily mentioned as part of my top five, along with C.D. Lamb. They're all hitting this this top, very obviously productive category, if we're to relate this thought exercise back to, you know, this college class. And it does not rank them well. I'm not saying Judy is therefore has a lower ceiling than C.D. Lamb or Jalen Ragor. I'm saying he we can boost him into that category. And I think that's fair once you look at the full breadth of the situation he's in. That's how the adjustment can be made. Not to make someone like Henry Ruggs, or to put it in terms of this thought exercise, Zach Pascal. Actually, Zach Pascal is a lot more of his team's offense than Henry Ruggs ever was. Um, let me go... Um, uh, Alex Erickson, that's actually a very fair comparison from 2019 to Henry Ruggs' career. Odd and Tate, if you want to be a little more generous. Um, or a little more. Uh, yeah, okay, Odd and Tate. Um, you can't turn that guy into Jamison Crowder in a bad situation. That's that's just not who Odd and Tate or Alex Erickson is. Jamison Crowder's better. You definitely can't turn him into Michael Thomas. And again, not Michael Thomas, but the thought exercise of a player that is production or are likely to be rightfully placed in that tier once you know the super nfl plays out and it can happen and again michael thomas himself was actually in the lower not nearly as bad as henry ruggs but still in the lower category in mid-tier say in the denzel mins and rare a little lower um yeah a little lower a little outside that top category definitely um again you can see where I've written, talked about, post about Michael Thomas everywhere, including that in that outlier article. The other examples are Vincent Jackson, Brandon Marshall. That's your lot in 20 years. So, yeah, I mean, and that's what I want to be reasonable. There's definitely a chance that Henry Ruggs does something else that we haven't seen before because that's always happening in the NFL and all the great or good players in the NFL look very, very different. So maybe Henry Ruggs is the first player to not really exceed 15% of his team's offense through entire full non-missing time for injuries offense to become, you know, not the next Michael Thomas even or just the next Robbie Anderson. True. Could happen. I'm not saying he's not worth drafting because what people are seeing on tape matters. It's not for nothing, right? They're not bad at what they're doing. Um, it's just very clear that he's in the unproductive, therefore less likely category. That is not really up for debate. Whether he's going to be successful in the NFL is more than possible, more than up for the debate. Let's look at other stuff, get in the hill and fight about it. But whether he was productive and looks likely to do it, that's really, it's a really clear definitive line, guys. It just is. 
And it's okay that it is. <laughs> it's okay. Like, this is one of the few things that has signal. Let's not throw it under the bus because we want to find excuses for why it's different in this situation. It's not different in this situation. And then having produced a conference score and also a teammate score and looking back through the history again to find any wide receiver that we might have missed on because the team was, was so crowded, it doesn't exist. It, it, like, it does not change the pattern. It, it, it's a very clear line. It just is. Um... So I hope this is more informative than a rant. <laughs> I just realized I'm talking very emphatically. Um, but yeah, I, I think putting it in terms of the NFL, if, the, you know, there's a super NFL, as ridiculous as it sounds, might provide better conflicts. Where I'm very confident Henry Ruggs is in an entirely different category. And to be fair, I don't know, you know, film grinders or pretending they're film grinders bros um I, I don't pretend they're saying like ray came on here he's a film guy he's a devil guy and he kind of liked henry ruggs but a little less than some but like he wasn't saying uh oh, this guy has the michael thomas ceiling or anything they're just saying there's something interesting there because he's fast and that's fair but i always but the conversation they always get into is trying to find excuses to make him productive just it doesn't exist. <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't exist. And, and it, that doesn't mean he still can't be good, but he definitely was not productive in college. Like, that's... We can debate it, but actually what ends up happening is I end up explaining this in a variety of different ways. Like, it's, he's he just didn't do it. Guys, that's not a death sentence. I'm not telling you never to draft him or that he's a bad person or won't be a proficient player in the NFL. Like, there are plenty that never make fantasy relevance who have, like, frankly, Auden Tate is, uh, frankly, amazing compared to most players, uh, the careers they have. Eric, Alex Erickson, they, it's an amazing accomplishment. <laughs> like, again, not bad people. I, I don't want to become the enemy here. Um, sure. And had a great season once, like James Crowder just did, literally. Um, sure. But, like, that's... that's that's a more reasonable range of expectations. And that's just a much lower tier than these other guys. And the thing is about those top five guys that look like they're in this 20% in this thought exercise, whatever. Most of them will miss. Most of them will miss, despite everything I just told you. Uh, and, and all the value it has. And, like, it's the only thing that has signal outside of Rafco. Oh, that crap. Most of them will miss. <laughs> that's the, that's an awkward thing. And so constantly going back to this fight of who is and isn't productive, like, it's it's almost the weirdest part. Again, I really enjoy it. And they, everyone that gets into it, always comes up with an interesting idea. That's why I've created a conference score. That's why I've created a teammate score. And they're interesting descriptive stats to prove that the trend exists. But I really enjoy the thought exercise because I certainly don't think of everything. And maybe, you know, they will say, well, what about this? And I'll be like, oh, that'll crack the ranking system. So I really enjoy the conversation. It's valuable. I'm not saying you shouldn't disagree or challenge. You should always challenge accepted wisdom right but i gotta say you're probably gonna fail if you're trying to prove that a player that wasn't productive was productive because there's no adjustment you can make to really get them over that boundary if they played in college significantly like they had a couple years they didn't miss time they didn't only play one year like dk metcalf but we know when that's true and we can also always make adjustments for that which we did for DK Metcalf to a certain extent. Um, um, and this year, can I think of anyone that missed significant time? Not off the top of my head, and I've rounded for too long. So um, I think it's an interesting way to think about it. Sorry, this has definitely gone over 30 minutes. But I would encourage you to not think how what's wrong with this data. Why isn't it saying the player that I like is productive? It, it's telling you accurately whether they're productive or not. After that, it's, it's about finding a way to try to encourage this data to rank players better. It's C.D. Lamb over Raygor. And that's why you have to put the story together. Look at the picture of what we were talking about with Ray. But this question, what is productive, even with just yards, is actually really easy to identify, and it's kind of ironclad. All right, that's my conclusion. Actually, except to say this, um, and this isn't a whine at all, because again, I really enjoy this conversation. It, it really stimulates some of my thoughts I've enjoyed the most. Research projects I've really enjoyed the most. I want to keep having it. I don't want to give this off as a warning as you really shouldn't do this. I'm not saying that. But what I'm pointing out is even though I don't 
think route running matters, even though I don't think how explosive a player looks. I'm not sure what player people are getting off tape to really be better than production. But some people clearly are because that's their skill set. That's the way they approach the game. And everything we've said with Jake and everyone else. I'm not, but I, I really do value it. It really helps me putting the story together. But despite all of that, when someone tells me this guy's fast and this guy runs fast, I'll be like, oh, that's interesting. I almost never say, yeah, but what What if you adjust it for his team? team? Like, no one trusts the nerd. I get it. But, like, when, and tape people always have a different opinion as well. It's one of the difficulties from the outside, like Deke, John, uh, Zach Reed really liked uh, Paris Campbell. Jake really didn't see it much. Jake really liked DK Metcalf. Zach didn't really see it much. But I trust both of them. What they're seeing is accurate and they're good at observing on tape. And so I try to put it together for myself. But like when a nerd says this guy's productive and this guy isn't, like no one's like, oh, that's interesting. Everyone's like, no, we've got to fix that. You're definitely wrong on that. <laughs> it, it's just, uh, that's kind of awesome that no one believes the nerd when he says he's seen something. But Trust me on this one. <laughs> there's productive and there's unproductive. And it's as true as whether you saw someone make a good break on tape or whether you saw them be faster than most people on a field. Like, it's that definite. Not as fun to watch, but that definite. All right, guys, I'm out. I'm out. I'm going. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm re- I really plan to have Ray back on this week, but... Uh, then I got to think about this and I didn't ask him so hopefully he can go back on soon and um, hold me to fire on uh, or quiz me on conference uh, score or teammate score um, and you know tell me why I'm wrong because he's changed his mind and Ruggs is fantastic whatever it'll be fun um, thanks again guys I will talk to you again next week hope you made it to the end of the episode I really do um, Drop us a like if you can, man, or whatever. I don't know, I'm bad at this. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll talk to you again next time. Bye. Yeah! Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that, I, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.